Good morning. Ah, oh, what a wonderful time of worship this morning. And we want to continue, as Nicole said, that spirit of worship in the Word this morning. Psalm 93 this morning. Psalm 93. We're doing a couple weeks in the book of Joshua and then a psalm. And then a couple weeks in Joshua and a psalm. And then we're going to get to the point where we're only going to be doing one week in Joshua and a psalm. Psalm 93. And because this is such a short psalm, I'd like us to sort of read it together, if you will, or follow along as I read these five verses from Psalm 93. And really the first three words of the psalm would be a great title for the psalm as well. And it's really my first major point that we're going to be talking about tonight or this morning. The psalmist writes, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He wears strength around his waist. Indeed, the world is established. It cannot be moved. Your throne has been secure from ancient times. You have always been king. The waves roar, O oh Lord. The waves roar. The waves roar and crash. Above the sound of the surging water and the mighty waves of the sea, the Lord sits enthroned in majesty. The rules you set down are completely reliable, and holiness aptly adorns your house, O oh Lord, forever. As I said before we had our time of worship this morning, we have an opportunity as the people of God today not just to be in God's house or to be viewing a service from God's house today from our homes, but to truly be changed and transformed by what we experience here today. Jesus said to his followers, you can know my truth, the truth, and you can be set free. You can know the truth and be set free. And I believe today that God wants to begin or to continue setting people free today. Primarily, as we're going to see what this passage is talking about, primarily from worry, care, anxiety, and fear. If there's something that plagued the people of God throughout the Bible held them back either personally, individually, or corporately from moving forward with God like we're talking about in the book of Joshua, it's worry, care, fear, and anxiety. That's why God in the very first chapter of Joshua says to his people three times, be strong and courageous. The only way we're going to be willing to keep following the Lord into uncertain territory that he's leading us to is to be strong people and courageous people, fearless people. We know that that wasn't always the case. They, they did cross the Jordan. They did conquer Jericho. We saw last week they conquered Ai. But then they get to a place where they could have had all the land that God promised them. But as we're going to see in a couple weeks with Caleb, they sent a couple other spies in and they saw giants. And they came back and reported, oh, we can't go in there because there's giants in the land. And their fear and their unbelief and their worry and their care and their anxiety kept them from experiencing all that God had for them. 
Well, today's psalm really speaks to the heart of all that. Because if, if we in our lives and even in the life of our church gets to the point where our view of God continues to grow and rise, where we truly believe, not, not just in our heads, if you will, but in our hearts, and then that affects, in a sense, our hands, our bodies, that the Lord reigns, it will transform our life every day. If we woke up every day as the people of God saying, I know that my God reigns, and, and that everything that I'm going to experience in this day, this week, this month, and this year can be lived, if you will, through that prism because that's the prism, if you will, that God wants his people to always live through. It is the prism of the person of God. All of God's people should live all of life through the prism of the person of God, who he is. And so in the first two verses, I want us to concentrate on that because that's where the psalmist concentrates. He says in verse 1, the Lord reigns. It means God is king, and it means he is king perpetually and permanently. He is on his throne. As we read at the end of verse 3, you've, or verse 2, you've always been king. The end of verse 4, the Lord sits enthroned in majesty. He has always been king. He always will be king. No one will ever be able to knock him off of his throne. He will never abdicate his throne. He rules. And if we truly believe that God rules the universe that he created, that he's in control of it, and we live our lives through that prism that God is king every second of every day that we live, it will change our lives. It will change our outlook, our perspective, our attitude. It will even help us begin to overcome our worries, our cares, our fears, and our anxieties. Notice that the psalmist says that God is robed in majesty. He's literally surrounded and wrapped by the beauty of his divine attributes. And majesty is one of those Old Testament words that has many nuances and many synonyms and many meanings to it. It can mean splendor. He's robed in splendor, excellence. Dignity, authority, grandeur, might, all of those tie into the meaning of majesty. And literally, that's his being. That's, that's who he is. That's, that's who we will see him as one day when we see him as he is. That's who the disciples got a glimpse of whenever Jesus was transfigured before them on the mount. And that was even just a glimpse of his glory. That's who Moses saw as God passed by. It was the God of majesty. Notice he goes on to say the Lord is robed. 
He always has the glory and beauty of his divine attributes emanating and radiating from his being, from his person. And then the psalmist singles out his power, his might, his strength. He wears our God's strength literally around his waist. And it's not any strength, it's divine strength. God isn't just mighty, he's almighty. He's not just powerful, he's all-powerful, which means that he is also invincible and unstoppable. There is nothing in the universe more powerful than God, and he wears that power and that strength and that might literally right there at his waist. And then look at the end of verse 1. <clears throat> Indeed, the world is established. It means to be firm or fixed for God's purpose. It cannot be moved. It cannot be overthrown. <laughs> what are we as human beings always fretting and worrying and caring and anxious and fearful about? Oh, what's going to happen to the world? Even throughout my lifetime, obviously, there's been wars and rumors of wars. And what are we going to do? Are we going to blow ourselves up? We're right in the midst right now of obviously an impending war. I was a little bit young, but yet I, I, I knew about the Cuban Missile Crisis and how close everybody thought maybe we were to annihilation there. I can even remember as a young boy how terribly frightened my extended family was about what was going on at the nuclear reactor plant at Three Mile Island. Because where I grew up, we weren't far from Three Mile Island. And we were all huddled together at our house because people and my family, and we were so afraid of what might happen and how, you know, everything might just be annihilated. You see this throughout our lives, how, how everybody's thinking, you know, we're on the brink of annihilation always and that the world is somehow going to implode and that, you know, and we haven't taken care of God's resources or his world as we should, but somehow like, you know, the world's just going to come to an end and, and all that. No, if we believe that God is king, he will only let what happens to his world that he created go so far, and then he'll intervene. Because the Bible tells us God created this world. God is the one who preserves this world for his own purpose, and he alone is the one who one day will dissolve this world which is what the Bible teaches. Yes, one day the purposes for this heaven and this earth will be done and God will destroy this heaven and this earth and guess what? He'll make a new heaven and a new earth. But God's the only one that can do it. And so the psalmist is saying, do I truly believe that my God, our God, reigns, rules? That God is never up there in heaven with what is happening on earth, just wringing his hands at a loss for what to do or how to handle a situation? 
Is there anything that ever comes across God's radar that he has no clue what to do or how to handle it? No. In fact, God already knows what's going to happen before it even happens. And God's even made preparation and provision for that. God's always a thousand steps ahead of any of us. More than that, but I go that far. God's a bazillion steps ahead of all of us. The idea is that if that's true with the universe, that's also true of our own lives. There's nothing you and I will ever experience as a human being or we will ever experience as a church that God's up there going, I didn't see that coming. Oh, man, that's a hard one. No. God's got you. And God's got us. He reigns. He rules. Do we really believe that? And, and again, we even as Christians can say, oh, yeah, I, I believe God reigns. And it's sort of like it sits up there as a, as a truth in my head, but does that truth really penetrate and grip my heart and make a difference in the way I approach life every day? Because the psalmist is really teaching us here, if I truly believe that my God is king over the universe that he created, I wouldn't struggle with worry and care and anxiety and fear like I do. I would begin to know the truth that God reigns and be set free from all of that and be released from all of that. And when a care does come across my life, I will cast that care upon him knowing how much he loves and cares for me and that he reigns. Then look at verse 2. Your throne your sovereignty, your place of honor over creation has been secure or stable from ancient times, literally continuously and constantly. Because we can go back so far, but God has always been. So what the psalmist is reminding us of is our God is self-existent and he's eternal. He's always had this place of honor. He always will have that place of honor that he rules from. Again, never off his throne. In fact, we are reminded that the one who watches over us and our lives never sleeps nor slumbers. He never takes his eye off of us. He never gets to a place where he doesn't understand or know what's going on in every detail of every situation in the entire universe. In fact, I love what the psalmist then says at the end of verse 2. You have always and always will be king. King. So the psalmist is just sort of setting the foundation in the first two verses. He's saying, look, here's a truth that can set you free in your life. That truth is that God, your God, our God, is king. He rules, he reigns, always has, always will. 
and there's nothing out of his control. And there's nothing more powerful than him. In fact, our God as king, we are promised one day will come, the king is going to come, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God because he is not just king, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. And that's what the author of Psalm 93 wants to instill in us. Again, not a truth to just sit in my head, but a truth that grips and transforms our hearts and our lives. But then in verses 3 and 4, with that established first, that God is king, he does want to be honest and say, yes, life can be very scary. And life will always have its storms. But I have to, again, live my life of being scary and the storms that will come into all of our lives through the prism that God is always king. If I do that, then I can begin to be set free from the worry, the care, the anxiety, and the fear that can grip my life because my life is gripped by the king who's always ruling and reigning the universe and, and my life is gripped by the truth that he's king. But God doesn't ever want us to think, look, it's not like I don't think that life can be scary down there or that you're going to go through storms, which is why verses 3 and 4 use the description, which is a poetic description, of the waves. Why does he talk so much about these waves roaring in verse 3 and the, the surging waters and mighty waves of the sea in verse 4? Because they are a poetic device of the unsettling circumstances of life. As awe-inspiring as the pounding surf can be, as it breaks the rocks and carves the shore, God is mightier than the waves. God rides upon the storm. In fact, I want to take us to a couple passages of Scripture this morning from the New Testament that really illustrate this, and it's why I think God allowed these instances in his own disciples' lives because they were really a great example of what the psalmist is talking about here. Listen, just because you're a follower of God doesn't mean the waves won't roar around you. Just because you're a follower of God and even doing his will doesn't mean that you won't go through storms. We all will. That's part of life. We all will have our storms in this life. We all will have instances where the waves are roaring around us and the water is surging around us. That's not the issue. The issue is whether we truly believe that in the midst of the storm, our God is still king. That's the issue. 
So keep your finger in Psalm 93. We're coming back there and go to the Gospel of Mark, to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. On that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side of the lake. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but this is key. In a sense, this is a declaration and promise from Almighty God, the one who always rules and reigns. And notice what he says to his disciples. In light of what we know is about ready to happen, he doesn't say to them, let's get in the boat and get halfway across the lake and die out there and drown. No. He's saying, we're going to get into this boat here. We're going to cross the lake over to this side and we're going to get there. Okay, so remember that. That was a promise. That was a declaration from the God who reigns to his followers. So after leaving the crowd, verse 36, they took him along, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm developed, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was nearly swamped. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. They woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? A couple things. First of all, I'm not going to minimize this storm. This must have been a terrifically powerful storm. Why do I say that? Because all of these men in this boat with Jesus were professional fishermen who were used to being out on that lake when storms came. If they would be, you know, the kind of person that would have been scared of a storm, they'd have left their fishing a long time ago. They had experienced storms. So there was something probably uniquely even powerful about this storm. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been so frightened. And it reminds us that you and I, no matter how experienced we are, how familiar we are with something, we never get to the point where we don't need God. We still need God in the familiar. We still need God in the things that we are most experienced in because there can always be another level of something that comes in that sort of rocks our world just like it rocked the disciples' world. And the other thing I want to point out is what the disciples said to him. They didn't even just say, we're about to die or we're about to drown out here. Here's what they said. And you and I have said it to the Lord before, I'm sure, at some point. Don't you care? God, don't you care? Don't you care, God, that, that you know, I lost my job? Don't you care, God, about what they're saying about me? Don't you care, God, uh, uh, that, that I have this illness? Don't, don't you care? And so it, it goes beyond even that God is king. It, it's like, I even wonder if you care about me. So Jesus got up, verse 39, 
and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, be quiet, calm down. And guess what? The wind stopped and it was dead calm. By the way, the declaration that Jesus makes here to the wind is the same words that he makes to the demon-possessed man when he calls out the demons from the man. Basically, Jesus is showing, I'm king. I'm in charge. I rule. Whether you're talking about something demonic or some natural powerful disaster, Jesus is showing his followers, I'm in control. Then the wind stopped and it was dead calm, and he says to them, notice these words, why are you cowardly? Why are you fear-driven? Why are you faithless? Why are you allowing this storm that you're going through as powerful as it might be to rock your world. I'm in this boat with you. Even if I'm sleeping, I'm here. Do you not understand who I am? And even if I weren't here, which we're going to see in just a second, don't you believe that because I know you and I love you and I have a relationship with you that I've got you? Why are you so afraid? And then he says this, do you still not have faith? <laughs> Meaning, by this time, you should trust me. Why are you not to the place in your life where you trust me completely? Otherwise, you could be in the midst of the most powerful storm you ever went through as a human being, and you could still be settled and secure and, and stable and feel safe because you're in me and I'm the king. Then turn over with me to chapter 6 of Mark to another stormy situation. Verse 45 of Mark chapter 6. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dispersed the crowd. So the difference between this and the other is Jesus was in the boat, even though he was sleeping earlier, now he's not in the boat with them. But he's still king, right? He's still always on his throne, ruling and reigning, after saying goodbye to them, he went to the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars, because he sees everything. He's the Lord. Because the wind was against them. As the night was ending, he came to them walking on the sea, for he wanted to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the water, they thought he was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he says to them, and don't miss these words, have courage, literally, express your confidence in me. Be unafraid, it's me. Do not be afraid. Do not be gripped with fear. And then, even though Mark does not record it, it's at this point between verse 50 and 51 that Peter then, in parallel passages, cries out to Jesus and said, Jesus, 
if that is you, command me to come out and walk on the water to you. And notice something. Walking on the water, you got to give Peter props when you can, right? Because Peter gets bashed a lot, right? And for good reason sometimes. But walking on the water wasn't Jesus' idea. It was Peter's idea. Peter says, if that's truly you, then I know that you can get me to a place in my life where I can even step out of this boat and walk towards you on that water. And what's Jesus say to that? Come on, Peter. And you know that story. Peter begins to walk on the water, and he's walking on water as a mere human being as long as he keeps his eyes on who? Jesus. But when he takes his eyes off of Jesus and gets them on the waves and the surging water, he begins to sink. And again, that's Psalm 93. God is my king, our king, everyone's king. He's king. Whether you acknowledge him or not, he's king of the universe. And when we live our lives through that prism at all times, we can begin to release the worries and the cares and the fears and the anxieties that grip us because we're living through the prism always of he's in control and I can trust him. I can trust him. Then he went up with them into the boat, verse 51, and the wind ceased. They were completely astonished because they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. You see, just before this is where God fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes. And so what God is saying is they experienced this mighty miracle of my power and my capability, but they didn't really take it to heart. They, they didn't let it grip their hearts and transform their lives and their minds and their thinking. Otherwise, if they would have truly embraced that miracle of me feeding thousands of people with such a little lunch, then they wouldn't have been so afraid in the windstorm, you see. They, they failed to connect the dots, if you will. And notice Jesus even said their hearts were hardened. They lacked spiritual sensitivity. They were unresponsive to what they were experiencing, which again is why I said at the very beginning, we have a great opportunity here as God's people to not just go through the motions of being at church today or watching from our homes church today, but of allowing God to change us and transform us from the inside out and to truly get to a place like we've never gotten before where we walk away from this experience going, God, you reign, you got me, I trust you. And I'm going to begin to allow that truth to set me free from my worries and my cares and my anxieties and my fears. Because everything, Lord, that is stressing me is less than you. It's less than you. That's why Jesus, I think, said in John 16, to his followers, listen to these words. He says, I have told you these things so that in me 
you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble and suffering. Or to apply it to today, you will have waves and surging waters and storms in your life. You will have unsettling experiences in your life, Jesus is saying. But be of good courage. I have overcome the world because I'm king. Back to Psalm 93. One more point. The first two verses establish that the Lord reigns. Verses 3 and 4 establish that life has storms. Verse 5 reminds us of landing spots, if you will, of stability. How can we as God's people maintain or increase or continue to strengthen our feelings of safety and security and stability so that we're not such a worried, anxious, fearful, caring people, meaning caring in the wrong kind of the sense. Two things, two landing spots of stability in verse 5. The word of God and the house of God. And I will say this. You will never be as safe and secure and stable and strong as you could be if you're not immersed in the house of God and in the word of God. Because they are God's landing spots to keep us strong and stable and feeling safe and secure, even in a scary world where the waves are roaring around us. That's why he says in verse 5, the rules you set down or the principles from your word, the word of God, are completely reliable, dependable, trustworthy. It's what I can build my life on. It's why, you know, the, the prophet says, they are more than my necessary food. It's why Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's why Jesus gave the story of the one who built his house on sand or on rock and then compared the one who built it on a rock to the one who not only heard the word of God, but the one who allowed the word of God to come in and penetrate and change and transform their heart and mind, which is what the disciples did not do when they experienced the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, which is why they were still afraid after that in the boat. It's, it's the way many Christians are, which is why we have to be careful when we come and worship the Lord and we're in his word, that we don't leave unchanged or unresponsive to what God wants to do because it's in those moments that God can move us forward with him like he wants to do today. And the word of God is not the only landing spot. The house of God is the other, which is why the psalmist says, holiness aptly adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Your house where you dwell and where you meet with your people, that is always such a spe special and sacred place. In fact, in closing today, I'd like you to turn to two other passages in the Psalms. First, would you turn back with me to Psalm 84, beginning at verse 10. Psalm 84 
and verse 10. These two passages that I'm going to share with you remind us of how special God's house is to him and how special and sacred God's house should be to us. Because God says, if you immerse yourself in my word and in my house where, by the way, I'm worshiped, where you're growing in your sense of me, where my, your, your view of me becomes higher and greater all the time. It's not just attending church, because there's many churches that we can attend. It's making sure that we are part of a church that is truly worshiping God in a way that my view of God continues to increase. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. Psalm 84, verses 10 through 12. Certainly spending just one day in your temple courts is better than spending a thousand elsewhere. Can I just stop for a second? If Christians truly believed that truth, our local churches would be packed out every Sunday. They don't really believe that. One day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere. I don't, I don't buy that. It's what God says. I would rather stand at the entrance to the temple of my God than live in the tents of the wicked. And notice how he connects being in or around God's house with our feeling of safety, security, and stability. For the Lord God is our sovereign protector. The Lord bestows favor and honor. He withholds no good thing from those who have integrity. O oh Lord, who rules over all, who's king of the universe, how blessed are those who trust in you. Where do I grow in my strength and security and safety and stability? In the word of God and in the house of God. Then if you'll turn back to Psalm 27, verses 4 through 6. Psalm 27, verses 4 through 6. The psalmist says, I have asked the Lord for one thing. This is what I desire. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so I can gaze at the splendor of the Lord and contemplate him in his temple or in his house. It's not just about attending the house of God. It's about worship. It's about growing in my vision of who God is, of seeing him in a greater, more exalted, more elevated way. That's why I love the songs that Nicole chose for today. That's what, that's what our worship was all about today. Did it change us? Notice then the psalmist says, he will surely give me shelter in the day of danger. He will hide me in his home. He will place me on an inaccessible rocky summit. Now I will triumph over my enemies who surround me. I will offer sacrifices in his dwelling place and shout for joy. I will sing praises to the Lord. Notice again how in Psalm 27, like Psalm 84, there is a connection and a correlation between being in the house of God and feeling secure and safe and stable and strong. Why? Why? 
because God has designated his house to be a place of stability, a landing spot for stability, just as he has his word. So if we as God's people neglect his word in our life and we neglect the worship of him in his house, then we won't be as stable, secure, and safe and strong as we could be because we're neglecting the literal landing spots that God has said, this is where my people can find these things. Right here. Right here. Folks, I just want to say again, we have an opportunity here today. Let's seize that opportunity. Would you stand with me? Our worship team is going to come and get set. After I pray, I, I just want to share a few thoughts of encouragement with you before we sing this song this morning in closing. Father, I believe that you have met with us today. In fact, Lord, from the time we walked on to your, your dirt here this morning, because this was your land that you have given to your people, from the time we walked on here to the time we leave, God, you want to engage with us in a way that truly transforms our life, changes us. God, help us not to be like the disciples at that time in their walk where they experienced even your miracle-working power, seeing you feeding thousands of people with such a little lunch, and yet not taking with them what they should have taken out of that experience that would have buoyed them and bolstered them in their life storms. God, help us not to be like that. Help us not to be so hard-hearted and unresponsive and, and lacking the spiritual sensitivity that we need to begin to connect the dots in our life. And Lord, the biggest thing that we need to be settled on is that you're king. You reign. You always have. You always will. You've got us. You'll never let us go. You'll never abandon us. You'll, you'll never forsake us. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from your love. God, if we live through that prism every day, it won't matter the waves roaring, the storms uh, surging. Lord, we'll know that we are safe and secure and stable and strong in you. And Lord, I believe we have an opportunity here this morning for those who may be watching from their homes and those who are here today to begin to be set free from the worries, the cares, the anxieties, and the fears that can grip us, and to be gripped, to be gripped more by the truth that the Lord reigns. So, Lord, may we look to you now and trust that you alone can set us free. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we're, we're going